Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Double Real Film Podcast, in which we share some bonus content that came out of the main episode, similar to the bonus disc of a DVD or Blu-ray. Completists among you will know what it's like to want to dig through all the extras for that little tidbit the less dedicated will miss out on. Well, this episode is for you. What we have here is the uninterrupted director's cut of the special guest feature from episode 4, in which the Adamsons looked at the various films we were shown at school. This ranged from films they tried to show us to educate or help us bring something we were studying to life, to wildly inappropriate films that scarred us for life, and turned us into the odd and quirky podcast presenters you see before you today. This feature was not as long and wide-ranging as the Oscars chat from the previous month, so there isn't as much extra content this time. But it's a slightly extended version with no break for those who want to sit back and enjoy the full podcast chat experience. So without further ado, let's sit back and enjoy this bonus reel. Hello and welcome to another edition of James Adamson in Conversation with James Adamson, where my son and I talk about various niche topics to do with films we've watched or films that we're interested in. And last month we did the Oscars. Um, that turned out to be an absolutely massive topic. We're hoping this one is a little bit more self-contained. Um, we have been considering whether James Adamson in Conversation with James Adamson is a catchy enough title. We've been, my wife suggested James Adamson Squared, so we're playing around with that at the moment. But the main thing is the format is the same. Two, uh, two people with the same name in conversation about nerdy film topics. So, welcome, James. Hello. Thanks for having me again. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So, we decided that this month we were going to discuss films that we were shown at school, just yes. because it's an interesting kind of setting to watch a film. And it's um, what I thought was interesting when we did the Oscar chat and when we did the other um, conversation, there was a lot of things where it was kind of our relationship to film, kind of joint relationship, because even though your own opinions and your own kind of watching habits have led you to kind of think what you think about the Oscars and stuff, it feels like, you know, we, we've, we've watched Scorsese together, we've been interested in these films together, whereas these films have been kind of thrown out as randomly by teachers, and it's like, you know, you haven't chosen to watch it, you've just been given it to watch, so I thought it'd be interesting to see what that looks like as a as a category. So, I mean, I've got a few different films, some of which were like inappropriate to be shown, some of which were the school trying to educate us with, you know, in conjunction with what we were studying at the time uh, and various other things. Um, and I thought maybe we could just throw a few things backwards and forward. The one that sticks out to me the most, probably because it's the best film I did watch at school, um, which is controversial because I also saw, Shawsh I also saw Shawshank Redemption, that's a mouthful, at school. But um, in... I think second year of secondary school, we call it S2 up in Scotland because we're not weird. Um, yeah. We we watched Jaws and we were supposed to do like just a, just kind of like like a small like thousand word essay about, you know, what we thought of Jaws. I can't even remember what the question was. I think I did mine on like the build up of tensions through use of music and sound and I was blown away because I'd, I'd never seen Jaws before. Um, I think it was a good age to watch Jaws because I imagine you watched Jaws when you were about four because that's you were probably the, the age you were when it came out. Um, but, um, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't watch it right when it came out because I think I was only about two when it came out. But okay, then when yeah. we were about seven, when when people started to get video recorders, yeah, uh, our, our parents, uh, the parents of a few of the kids, just decided, "Hey, watch this film. It looks exciting." And a bunch of seven or eight year olds got completely traumatized. Um, <laughs> everyone in my generation watched yours too young, and and, <laughs> and and took a long time to get over it. Well, yeah, because I remember you saying like you were not you like that film was proper scare for you. When I, I watched it when I was about 13, 14, so I wasn't the shark looks really shit and it wasn't that like I didn't find it that yeah. scary, but I did find it really good. I was mesmerized yeah. by a film that was you know, what, what, subject, what subject were you watching it for? Was this um, like, uh... 
for English. Mr. Struthers was a Mr. was a legend. Like you, you weren't you weren't doing the novel, were you? Because obviously there is a novel that could almost justify it if you were studying the novel. I think she might have played it that way. I'd, I've never read the book, but I yeah. think maybe that's what she played it off as. Like yeah. Um, but no, I, I distinctly remember her making us do an essay about, you know, I think it was to show how we can be, it was like an analytical essay. I think that's how she wanted us to, like, to, to hone that skill, I guess. But no, I was, for a film that the, that point was about 35 years old, it was, it was really good. I think it's it's one of my favourite Spielbergs, um, although I, I, it's a shame that, you know, it's given people a great, like a deep mistrust of sharks. Um, yeah, the, um, the guy who wrote the book was really regretful afterwards. Um, yeah. he, he wrote the book and I, it, it was it was inspired by there was a lot of interest in great white sharks there'd been some shark attacks and uh there was especially uh, in the early 20th century there was like some shark attacks off the coast of new jersey which was like a big topic and the guy was a thriller writer and thought oh, this would be exciting let's do a story about a killer shark but as he yeah. got older he learned a bit more and realized that he'd maybe done a bit of harm to the cause of great white sharks and he became an environmentalist and was a yeah. bit apologetic for the way he portrayed sharks well, that, was, that was good of him. I, th- I remember you saying something like that before, but for some reason I had it in my head that that was Michael Crichton, but he couldn't have written a apologetic yeah. story about, you know, yeah. damaging the image of the dinosaurs. He wrote Jurassic Park, didn't he? Yeah. But no, um, no I, th- I thought it was um, it was a really good film. Um, you know, it's got an excellent score. I think uh, Robert Shaw steals the show somewhat for me. Oh, absolutely. Um, that is a really, I still quote that film to, to this day. Um but no, it's uh, yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. But like I said, it's it's a bit weird that that's the best film I've seen at school, and I have watched Shawshank Redemption. I imagine that causes a bit of controversy with maybe yourself and some of the listeners. Uh, no, I mean I, I don't know. Shawshank Redemption is a very good film. I think it's controversial to prefer Jaws to Shawshank Redemption. I think they're both both good films. Yeah. What about you? What's the film that sticks out to you when you think of the films you watched at school? Although it's not the same kind of film, it probably falls into a similar category of yours of. This wasn't really to do with exactly anything we were studying, but we're really glad we got to watch it. And it was the original Ralph Bakshi version of Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. Um, so as I say, I'm not entirely sure how we got to see it, but that, that, that was the one we got to see. When was that released again? That's 1978. Is that the animated one? Yeah, yeah, it's animated. And um, it's funny because, I mean, this again is sort of top end of primary school age. <laughs> And yeah. so kind of age appropriate to be watching it, but it was just on that borderline of, even though it was animated, it was sort of borderline scary and gory in places. And it was really dark. And, you know, there's not many kind of animated films that then had anything like that. It was really, it's, it's actually really good. I mean, obviously everyone talks about the new Lord of the Rings trilogy and that is, I think overall better. Because the yeah. problem with money and couldn't actually do the whole thing. He decided to try and do it in, in two films rather than three. And then they never got to do the second half. So it's kind of, you watch it now and you go, but where's the rest of the story? But no, it's yeah. just really, really enjoyed it. Um, the, you know the scene in Lord of the Rings early on where they're going to meet Aragorn, although I think he's called Strider at that point, and the, uh, the, the wraiths come in and like, or the, whoever the assassins are, they go in and they stab the beds and they've actually, they've actually put pillows in the beds and they've actually already left. Okay, yeah, I know that one. In the book, it was in the animated film and Peter Jackson liked it so much he redid it for his film. Okay. Um, so it's, it's rotoscoped, which I talked about in a previous podcast. So no, it's not all rotoscoped. Some of it is traditional animation, like drawn animation. And some of the really complex battle scenes have essentially filmed it or done film of people on horseback and fighting and everything and then, then animated over it to make it look more realistic. Okay. Um, that's a bit weird because the animation switches from one to another and it can sometimes looks a bit, oh, hang on, they just changed the animation. It's jarring, yeah. Yeah, but it's still really, really good. And quite a good cast. We've got John Hurt playing Aragorn. 
Okay. Anthony Daniels, who played C-3PO in the Star Wars films, plays uh, Legolas. Okay. No, so it's, it's, mad, it's mad, though. The budget of the film was $8 million, to do, and they did up to the end of the Battle of Helm's Deep. Okay. And and doing that, going that far in the Peter Jackson trilogy cost $190 million. So it's mad, the difference in budget between the two films. Yeah, I'm trying to picture C-3PO talking like Legolas. Um, yeah, he's probably does pretty much his own his own voice. Um, in voice is I'm just Orlando Bloom, while a somewhat limited actor, does do Legolas very well, and his lines being delivered by a bumbling robot would be. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Anthony Daniels was a bit of a, a voice actor. So, I, 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 to be honest, I can't remember what he sounded like now. But um, and I didn't even realise it was Anthony Daniels at the time. So I, I honestly couldn't tell you what he sounded like. I might have to go and dig it out and watch it again. Yeah. Um, it's funny though; it wasn't originally going to be animated. They were trying to get, um, they were trying to do a live-action version in like the sixties and seventies. David Lean had a go, or was con- con- t- talk- talked about doing it, and then pulled out. Stanley Kubrick was thinking about making it, and then pulled out because he didn't think it could be done. And uh, John Borman, the guy who did Deliverance and films like that, he he was he actually wrote a script, but he was trying to do all three books as one film, which would have just been horrendous. Um, and when it when it fell through. He'd kind of been bitten by the bug of like Tolkien and fantasy and went off to do his own fantasy film, which was Zardoz. I don't know how you get from Lord of the Rings to Sean Connery in a red nappy, but that's what he did. Um, um, But yeah, then he went, gave up and went animated. So yeah, it was kind of, I think looking off my list, that's a similar one to yours in the sense that I'm, it was great that they let us watch it, but I'm not sure (laughs) to what extent it helped with like school or anything. I think, I think it was just like an end of term kind of bonus. Now that we're actually doing this, I'm remembering a lot of films that I watched at school. Um, so yeah, chuck a few out, improvise. Jaws. Um, we watched The Crucible in higher drama. So higher yeah. drama is sort of more yeah. or less, more or less equivalent to A levels in English. No, 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 uh, that, no, no, no. Advanced higher is like you know how you do AS and then you do A level. No, yeah, so yeah, sort of like AS level. That's so right, higher is your AS and then. So more, but, 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 but during during sixth form, as, as they call it, down in yeah, yeah, yeah. Although yeah. you do you do an extra year, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Besides the point, uh, we did the crucible because we were we were performing that in drama. I remember <laughs> now I'm now I'm remembering because I remember watching it in class and I just went, "Dad, have you seen the crucible?" And you went, "Yeah." It's like look at this bit, and I can't remember the name. It's one of the it's one of the judges. I think it's Davenport or one of those mm-hmm. ones, and he just goes, "Mr. Proctor." Like Herbert, the Herbert, <laughs> yes, Herbert, I remember Herbert, that. Yeah. It was that. It was Paul Schofield or someone. That's it. Yeah, yeah I can't remember. I'll, I'll this is the Daniel Day Lewis version of the Crucible, right? Yeah. Yeah, which is I. I really enjoy watching Daniel Day Lewis perform because he's fucking bonkers. I remember that coming out, and it. it you know, when we when we did the Oscars, it, I, I don't think it even showed up in anybody's. Um, uh, it got it got a nomination in '96, but it completely passed us by. It didn't get much recognition at the time. Not to get uh, back into the Oscars, but yeah. considering. It didn't and do it, very well at the box office, apparently. It's a bit weak. Winona Ryder's in it, and she, it's not her best performance, because Winona Ryder's a great actress, but she's just, she plays um, Abigail, and she's just a bit, hmm. But um, Daniel Lewis is great in it. Um, Arthur Miller was nominated for Oscar. Like a teenager. Uh, it came out in 96, so I think Winona Ryder would have been about 20, 21. Yeah, she didn't, she didn't, no, she was about 25, but I thought Abigail was oh, actually she? quite young. Uh, oh yeah, she was 20, 23, yeah. 24. They used to do that a lot more, didn't they? Get really overage actors to play characters. But no, I really enjoy um, Danny DeLewis just going, it is my name! But yeah. I hated performing the Crucible. I think we we got absolutely battered for our performances in higher drama because I don't think anyone actually enjoyed it. I didn't mind the film, but... Um, 
Well, I mean, it's it's quite it's quite it's it's actually quite a heavy going play. I mean, Arthur Miller, you know, it's not easy to do. It's hard. I would I much prefer the play. I enjoyed reading it. Um, then it yeah. is, it's lots of twists and turns and um, stuff like that. And it is it is an enjoyable story. I just I just distinctly remember Herbert the Pervert. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's probably a really good use of school resources to show you a professional actors doing a play that you're studying, right? Yeah, that was that was other, definitely. Other yeah. I was just sitting in the classroom and you're staring down at the book and self consciously reading it out in front, or, or some teacher with a really boring voice reading it out, which I had a lot at like uh, A level English. Yeah. Well, uh, to that, I've got is um, Romeo and Juliet because at GCSE, so English equivalent to Scottish standard grades, um, we were doing Romeo and Juliet as our Shakespeare text. Um, <laughs> imagine how awkward that is in class when you've got going, oh, you know, I'm going to have to say I love you to, to one of my classmates and all of that kind of, you know, one wants to read it out. Everyone's really self-conscious teenagers. Um, but it was good that they let us see Romeo and Juliet, obviously because of the age I was, you know, doing it, that the, the Leonardo DiCaprio version didn't exist. Um, the, the version we got was from about 1970, Franco Zeffirelli. Um, and okay. it, uh, it was a really famous and popular version of Romeo and Juliet, but it's been completely surpassed now. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're going to show kids at school, Shakespeare, Romeo, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet now, you do the, the Leo, the Leo version, because it's much as I have problems with, um, Baz Luhrmann, his version of Romeo and Juliet is pretty good. And, um, it's much, you know, really sort of gets kids into it, but well, this, get 50% this of the class paying attention because Leonardo DiCaprio is in it. So that'll keep, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so that was um, that was pretty good. It was um, the only thing that kind of spoiled the atmosphere of it was um, the fact that the music from Romeo and Juliet is like a the theme tune's kind of a sad, like choral, almost like a, a orchestral kind of tune. It's really simple. It goes da 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 da, and some cheesy DJ in the eighties was using that theme tune as his like for a slot on his show of like <laughs> dad's stories that readers have written in. Um, you know, everything from my rabbit died and my kids are really unhappy to, you know, I've got cancer and it was a real downer. So as when we were watching that, we're kind of imagining some DJ going, God said story for you, mate, um, which kind of ruined the atmosphere a little bit. Yeah, but at least it was relevant. Who did you play when you played Robbie and Juliet? We didn't, we didn't, we didn't end up because it was for English literature. We didn't perform oh, okay, it. Okay. But, you know, during, during the, the lesson, there would be times when we would read it out and you would just get given it for about three or four pages. You'd be given a character to read out whoever. I don't know. So I never, never actually played it. How did you cope with like the the language? Obviously, the Shakespearean language of it. Not not easy. Not easily, to be honest, because any even unless you, unless you're Kenneth Branagh or people who kind of spent twenty years in the, the RSC, a, an actor who does Shakespeare is going to spend some time uh, getting their heads around it. And then when you're in class and you're just kind of reading it cold, you kind of get halfway through a sentence and go, I don't, know, I can't remember what I was fucking talking about. Yeah, really. But when you're fifteen or sixteen, I mean, you you, you can. You know, you can obviously start to get the hang of it. And obviously Shakespeare was a really good writer, but it's 500-year-old language in, or 400-year-old language written in iambic pentameter. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is not easy to get, to get your mouth round, as it were. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fan of Shakespeare adaptations or reading Shakespeare. The only Shakespeare film I've sat through is um, Rum Plenty's Macbeth. Um, what did you think of that, by the way? Well, it's pretty. It's a year after Sharon Tate was murdered, so it's a pretty dark film. Yeah, you can imagine what sort of headspace he was in. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. 
Um, but if it was cathartic to him, I guess it's a good thing. I'm not trying to stick up for Roman Polanski here because he's done a lot of bad stuff. I'm but, sure, I'm sure, yeah, but in that, yeah. in that space, in that time frame, he hadn't done. Um, well, not yet. In that headspace, you can kind of understand where he's coming from. Um, but no, I, I thought it was all right. I just remember when I was watching it that they've made the um, they've made the main characters wear full armor for a sword fight scene. Right, and it looked like they were about to fall over at any given moment because I don't think they were used to wearing armor, and they should have probably given them some sort of more lightweight substitute. But I think they gave them real plate armor, and they <laughs> kept bringing their swords and practically falling over. And I thought, okay, this probably isn't what he was trying to convey. Yeah, actually, no, no. Well, that that's the I've seen a couple of adaptations of Macbeth now that I think of. I've seen the one with Patrick Stewart playing Macbeth in like a weird like BBC Four kind of thing. And then I saw the 2015 Justin Kurzel one, which that's was the one with shite. Yeah, it was shite. It's like it's about an hour and fifty minutes long. Macbeth is like a three and a half hour play. Mm. It's like a long production. They cut out like the final. Like I went to see it with my mum, and she they mm. cut out like the best, her favorite speech from. I think it's Lady Macbeth's last speech. And they cut out the yeah. last bit of it, so she wasn't happy with it. But yeah, it just, you know, all, all literary adaptations are on that fine line, don't they? Because yeah. if you're a fan, if you're a fan of the original, and they cut half of it out, it's going to piss you off. Yeah, yeah. but. Anyway, back to um, things we've seen at school. I actually, yeah, I did see that Macbeth at school. I did, I did because we were doing Macbeth in S four English, so that's where I saw. Yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's like a fifteen or an eighteen, and I'm not sure everyone was. Well, I definitely wasn't eighteen by the time I'd even left school. But no, that was, that was quite a good thing to watch at school. Um, I think I think you should probably pick something terrible that I watched at school. In primary school, we watched High School Musical one, two, and three. <laughs> Why did they make you watch that? Because there were about four guys in my class and about seven thousand girls, so it was like, right. oh, "What do you want to watch?" Well, there's new Zac Efron's films out, so they, right. they released one in like 2006, one in 2007, one in 2008. Like the holy, like you know, the the holy trinity of terrible films. So it was, yeah, Christmas time we watched that, and it was, yeah, they were crap. Um, and we were the, the boys were like, "We don't want, we don't want to watch this. Can we go outside and play football?" Like, no, you're staying and <laughs> watching High School Musical. Um. Those are probably the worst films I've seen at school. Although I really didn't like Warhorse. It's probably hard it's probably harsh to bracket Warhorse in a high school musical, but everyone knows high school musical shit. So I think out of films that I've seen that were meant to be good or intended to be good, I really didn't get on with Warhorse. I thought it was a bit shit, a bit lame. Yeah, I mean to be honest, I haven't seen it. Um I it took the, I remember the reviews the reviews were mixed and I, you know, I thought I'll get around to watching it and I never did. We talk about a film that a, a crap film that I didn't like when I watched. Um, I might, I'll tell you what, I might enjoy this now while I watch it, but I, I was shown a film at primary school level, which was kind of 15 rated at the time. And um, certainly not, not really in it. There was a little bit of inappropriate, but mostly just because it was went over our heads. It's a film called a private function. Right. And I think that head teacher at school was just trying to educate us a bit, show us some, something a bit more classy and private function is a, it's a film uh, written by Alan Bennett. It's not an adaptation of any of his plays or anything. It's written for the screen by Alan Bennett. And because he's um, you know, a literary national treasure, I think he wanted to show it to us. And it's set during like just post-war in the rationing period. It's, uh, there, there's a local town in Yorkshire is celebrating the marriage of the future Queen and Prince Philip. But because they're under rationing, they can't get really nice food together. And someone's like illegally feeding a pig on the black market. And it's all about, you know, people trying to steal the pig and there's all sorts of <laughs> things. And it's got like Michael Palin and Maggie Smith in it. So I'd probably quite enjoy it if I watched it now. But for there's a bit where I think Maggie Smith is just on all fours with a bare backside. And there's a bunch of kind of 11 year olds going, what's, what's going on here? Um, and 
a lot of the a lot of what makes Alan Bennett good is just not going to do well for a um, you know for eleven year old audience because his films his stuff is all about these lovely little observations and ironic quotes like we started off trying to set up a small anarchist community but people wouldn't obey the rules <laughs> and all of that going uh, what. And I remember that was this, you know, when someone's tried to show you something and they really like it and the audience that they're showing it to doesn't like it. And you've got that kind of awkward, cringy feeling all the way through the film. I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm sure if I watch it now, I'd like it a lot better than I did when I was 11. Yeah, I th- see that description you've given me. Did you say Maggie Smith is on all fours? Yes. Now, see, Maggie Smith to you in 1980, when, when did this one come out? 1983, 84? Yeah. That's a totally different image to someone who knows Maggie Smith as Professor McGonagall. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she wasn't <laughs> like a young starlet or anything, but you know, she was kind of normal, normal adult age. So it was. Yeah. You want to throw another one out there? Throw another one. Um, so yeah, like I said, we went to see Warhorse, and it was a big thing. We went to the cinema. So we didn't actually watch it at school, but we went as a class to the cinema to see. Yeah, it. yeah, like class trip. Yeah. Um, and it's because we were doing, I think it was this was S four, so we were doing um, the first World War, like everyone does, uh, um, second school. We we're studying, you know, everything that was going on in World War One. And the film just didn't have any any relevance about what we were doing. Like we, we were talking about, you know, what caused the war, the events that led to, you know, the start of the war. You know, we were talking about all the way back to 1870, you know, with Otto von Bismarck and stuff like that, and, you know, resentment and expansion and the arms race and stuff like that. And war just doesn't really contain anything about that. No, about, no, you, you're more likely to get that out of a documentary, aren't you? Oh, yeah, it was literally just a horse. <laughs> so, yeah, we didn't really like it. And what pissed me off more is that when we were doing the American Civil War, uh, 12 Years a Slave was out at the time, and we were like, can we go see that? And they were like, no. I was like, but it's more relevant. They were like, no. And it's probably because in S4, you're doing your standard grades, or they're called National Fives now, but that's basically GCSEs. And obviously GCSEs aren't as important as what you're doing in your final year at school, which is your mm-hmm. advanced hires or A-levels. But yeah, it was just a bit It was just a bit of a lame film. It was a bit disappointing from Spielberg. Ironic that my favourite film I've seen at school was a Spielberg, and one of my least favourites was a Spielberg as well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're going to look at kind of war films, I was shown a couple of war films at school, and I think they were trying to do the same thing for me that they were for you to kind of this is you know this is relevant. It's a historical um, period that you're that you're learning about, so watch these films. And I, it, one, it doesn't work that well because it doesn't tell you, you know, and you know Hitler had just you know moved fifteen divisions west, and then that's why the the battle was more difficult. You just don't get that in these films. It's more about the the actors and their experiences, but. I do, I do remember really vividly watching A Bridge Too Far. That's a great film. <laughs> it, it is a good film. I think the, the, the problem was it was, a, it was actually, again, I don't think it would be 15 rated now. Maybe it would be borderline 15. There's a little bit of language in it. And obviously, it's about the Arnhem invasion after D-Day. They thought they could end the war by Christmas, so they, they sent paratroopers into Netherlands, and it didn't work out. I think the problem was, at that age, a lot of the people in the class, especially, you know, we were all like, oh, we, we want an exciting war film. You know, mm-hmm. like, where there or Force 10 from Navarone, which is the sort of war films they used to make where it's all very exciting. And this is about a little bit more realistic about the war and everything and it's a, it's a battle that the Allies lost so it was quite a downbeat and we weren't getting what we wanted out of it and, and we weren't learning anything really about why the thing failed. Um, it's also, it's it's three hours long so there's that's a long a long time for like the, the and it's did it in two halves I think because of like lesson time but it's a, it's a, it's a long time for the, the attention span. The all-star cast was distracting because even at age, that age, I'd heard of most of the actors. And I'm going, oh look, it's Robert Redford, oh, it's Sean Connery, James Kahn, yeah. Uh, and but I'll tell you, speaking of James Kahn, the, the bit that absolutely sticks out most vividly from that film is the James Kahn anecdote because you know how that film breaks down into like lots of little stories about what happened to different people during the battle. Yeah. And his bit, I love his story, and apparently that's based on an actual true story. Real bloke is that he was 
a sergeant. His captain was really nervous before the battle and said, I want you to guarantee me that I won't die. I don't know whether that dialogue ever took place in real life, but he really did. The sergeant, when he saw his captain lying among the dead bodies, he was convinced that for some reason that he, he, he could save him, stole a jeep, drove across enemy lines, took him to the, the medical tent, pulled a gun on the doctor and said, I want, you must try and treat this guy. And then, um, you know, there's a bit of dialogue before that one. He's, oh, he's dead. I haven't got time. And he pulls a gun and says, I'm going to blow your fucking head off if you don't try and, try and mm-hmm. save him. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and obviously, in, the, in those times, like a, a, the doctor's usually equivalent of like a major or something. So he's pulled a gun on a superior officer. Superior, yeah. And they, they do save his life. And they really sa- saved his life in, in real life. And the doctor says, um, he, he gets the, the military police across and says, right, I want you to arrest this man for pulling a gun on a superior officer. And I want you to keep him under arrest for a total of 10 seconds. <laughs> And I thought I, I, that story is really vivid, and that film is full of lots of vivid stories like that. But it didn't tell me anything about why Operation Market Garden failed. And similarly, yeah. Gallipoli, Gallipoli, which we watched. Now, this was at secondary school. We had quite a young and trendy history teacher who wanted us to get him all into history <laughs> by showing it dramatised. He actually had quite a decent rig for this film. He got hold of a projector and actually showed it on a on a big wall. So it was almost cinema size. So it was quite good to watch that. And Mel Gibson's quite, you know, just, you know. Just, a big star and hadn't quite turned into the, the alcoholic racist we know today. And it's about, it's about Australian soldiers in the Gallipoli campaign. Again, it doesn't really tell you anything about why it failed or what decisions Churchill took, but you get a nice dramatic story. Yeah. But yeah, I think that definitely same, although I enjoyed the films more than you enjoyed War Horse, I think it's the same problem. It's like you show people a war film, you don't necessarily learn anything that you're trying to study about it in history. Yeah. Well, another war film we watched, this was weird that with the, this, now I remember this, this is so bizarre. We watched A Boy in the Striped Pajamas. Ah, oh, yes, yeah. Which, I guess if you're teaching children, not children, I guess, young people about the Holocaust, it's a somewhat accessible way because that's such a dark topic. And the film, have you seen it? Uh, you know what? I haven't seen it. Do you Again, mind, I, if, I, did you mind I, if I spoil I, it for I, you? Just no, for... Yeah, you know, I, I, kind of, I kind of remember thinking, uh, I'm not sure how I could get on with like a, a Holocaust film that's... It's pretty bleak. Totally um, so basically, it follows... Asa or Asa, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Asa Butterfield from Hugo, yeah, as yeah. the young son of a Nazi commandant of a, a concentration camp played by David Thewlis. But it's kind of portrayed as like they move, I think, from Berlin or like a big German city out to the kind of sticks uh, into this nice big house. And, you know, they're kind of playing off as like, oh, what are you doing? Is like, oh, I'm just doing this every day. David Thewlis doesn't really tell his family what he's doing. Um, and as a butterfly, he's just kind of he's just kind of exploring the area, and he comes up, he runs around the garden, and he basically run leaves the kind of the house and leaves the grounds and goes and comes up to this fence, and he sees this little boy called um, I think his name's Smooth or Small or something like that. He's a little Jewish kid. He's wearing blue and white um, prisoner like clothes, and basically just kind of befriend each other. They kind of play games, but you know he's basically the kid's there to like I think he's, he's doing a job as a, like a labourer on the camp, and basically they just kind of befriend each other. There's like other dark bits where like there's a a young officer in the command of David Thielus who basically beats a Jewish kid, a Jewish um, servant to death. It's pretty yeah. dark stuff, but basically the way the film ends is that um, the Aston Butterfield's like, oh, why don't I come and play with you on the other side of the fence? And um, the, the other one's like, they, they, they're played off as really young, innocent characters. So the, um, the young Jewish kid goes and gets um, spare prisoner's clothes for Aston Butterfield to wear. Mm. And then it ends with basically them being shipped off to the gas chambers and killed. All right. Yeah, yeah, okay. So... It's it's really dark. It's a really dark ending. You know, it ends with like a shot of his mum crying and screaming and howling. Um, but <laughs> this isn't funny. But the, we watched this on the last day of school before we were meant to be going on summer holidays. <laughs> See, 
you'll finish school on a bit of a downer. We'd, we'd finish the curriculum. We'd finish the course. We'd, we'd sat our exams. We'd sat everything. I think this wasn't the end of third years. We haven't even, we, we haven't yeah, even there wasn't anything. We weren't writing any essays. We weren't, yeah, we weren't doing any coursework. It was just a really depressing way to finish. And like, we finished it. And then the teacher was like, uh, right, so have a good summer then. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> What the fuck? You just made us watch one of the most depressing films of all time. It was like, oh, have a good summer. But yeah, that, that was a distinct uh, film experience for me at school. Yeah. yeah. Um, my, in terms of like inappropriate to watch, this is inappropriate for entirely different reasons because at least that was legitimate within the... the um, it uh, was in history, yeah. Yeah, um, within the, I think the most inappropriate function, again, and this is primary school age, and this was like, I think we were like nine or ten. And there was a substitute teacher. He was a Scottish guy. And I remember thinking he was really trendy at the time. Amazing. It was like early 80s. But actually, looking back, he might not have been that trendy because his hairstyle was very 70s and this is the 80s. But I just remember him being quite young and trendy. can't even remember his name or anything. So just not to interrupt, but I have two great stories about a substitute teacher who is also Scottish. And I'm just so excited because every good story from school starts with, and he was a substitute <laughs> teacher. teacher. Yeah, so this and one. For that added bit of space, you've put, and he was Scottish. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That was just for flavour. I don't think yeah. his, his, his uh, bit, uh, background led to any of this. But but for, for whatever reason, I mean, he, he did sort of, I think he, I don't know, I think he was just trying to, you know, he, uh, even though he's a substitute teacher, he wanted to kind of, you know, impress upon us that he was actually quite cool and didn't take any nonsense. And, and But then for for whatever reason, I think just because he showed very poor judgment, he, he stuck a, a Bruce Lee film on. <laughs> we're like nine or ten. And Bruce Lee films right then were like full on 18 rated. Um, this one's the big boss. I don't know what rating it is now, but it probably still is 18 rated. Yeah, um, check that everyone was really, everyone was really, really kind of um, worried about, there was like a big moral panic about like videos back then, like the video nasties, but there was also a big moral panic about martial arts films. If, and it was like, if a film was normally like a PG, yeah, and there was no uh, um, 12 rating back then. If, that, if something was a PG because there's got fighting in it, if that fighting involves a lot of kung fu, that would put it up to a 15. It was like you would go up one rating if there was kung fu in it because of this whole idea that martial arts was this kind of scary thing and nunchucks were banned. Illegal for sale in the country and, you know, you couldn't show them in films. It's really mad. So to show a film like that to, like, nine-year-olds um, and the big bosses, Bruce Lee's first film when he went to Hong Kong, it's shot in Thailand and I don't really know why they went to Thailand to shoot a film rather than doing Hong Kong, but it was a huge hit and everything. It's got the Ice Factory fight scene, if you've ever seen that. But, yeah. you know, it, the, the fights result in people being actually killed. Well, not actually killed. I mean, not in real life. It's not a snuff film, but the characters <laughs> are, are, are killed in the story. You know, that you don't just fight. You, you, it doesn't end with someone like lying on the ground, nursing no. a bruised jaw, and Bruce Lee's the winner. People, you know, the characters die. Yeah, and, then, and, then, and then he goes off and, like, has sex with a prostitute in a brothel. <laughs> And, you know, and there's certainly no, you know, because the film's 18 rated, there's certainly no kind of, um, you know, attempts to, like, hide the nudity and the, and the explicit sex scene. Did Granny um, and Grandad ever find out about this? I don't think they did. Um, <laughs> because we sort of, we said, well, we're not telling him about this because he might, he might show us another film. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then he, he never came back. And I don't know if he never came back because they didn't need a substitute teacher anymore or because they found out. <laughs> but we never saw him again. And, but <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> it's um yeah but again I, I I can't really comment I can't really claim that there was any education well I found it very educational but I don't think it was the kind of education value that the school was trying to give us 
Yeah, well, my I had we had um, three famous substitute teachers at my school. They they yeah. were famous throughout the school. So we had Mr. Nugent, who was I'm pretty sure criminally insane. Um, <laughs> he he was in, uh, my first memory of Mr. Nugent was in. Uh, this isn't the film story, but it's it's a great story. Um, we were in physics or something, and he used to carry around this block, and he would just slam it on the desk to try and get us to be quiet. And he would say the most inappropriate stuff. He was like, "Oh, you know." I think we butchered like one of our circuits or something. He said, the guys, I'm disappointed in you. We're going to need you to do that. But the girls, you guys are going to be in the kitchen anyways when you're older. So it's fine that you can get, you oh, guys can be. And we were like, you can't say what? You can't say that. And then <laughs> there was Mr. Main, who was just a lovely, like he was like 95 when I was there. And he was just this old guy. He would just basically jog about the classroom. we be like, oh yeah, I do 100 press ups every morning. Cause that's the best way to wake up. But the best substitute teacher and everyone was like, wait till you get Mr. Crow. Now, Mr. Crow, he he passed away quite recently, actually, which is a real shame because he was an absolute fucking legend. But what he would do was, he, <laughs> he was famous for having his briefcase. And in that briefcase were two films. So you know that if your teacher's sick, you're thinking, fuck, right? Don't be another English teacher. Don't be an, uh, the other drama teacher. Be a substitute teacher and be Mr. Crow. Be Mr. Crow. Be Mr. Crow. And when you see this little <laughs> bald head walk in with his glasses, everyone was like, literally, it was like, fucking come on. Get in there. So you get in. And you'd be like, oh, so the teacher's life for this work. It's like, put on little criminals, Mr. Crow. Put on little criminals. And it's like, no, you've been left with Put on little criminals, Mr. Crow. Put it on right now. No, you've got work to do. Little criminals now. And basically, it would be about 50 minutes of pretending to do work until he caved in and would just put on the DVD of little criminals. But if he always had it in his bag and he knew that they were going to ask for it. He's always like, oh, I've not got it on me. I've not got it on me. He's like, we can see your briefcase, Mr. Crow. Don't pull that shit with us. Get out. Play it. We don't say get out to a teacher. Fuck me. But you say, get little criminals on. Get it on, you know. Play that. He, he must have had those in his box because eventually he would go look if either was it because he wouldn't always be doing a, a, a class that he knew anything about and he could just kind of stick it on and I don't know what he specialised in he always used to say that he took about 35 years to become a teacher as it was and he, he failed every single exam he took so I don't even know what his specialty, specialty subject was apart from Little Criminals but <laughs> basically he, he would put on Little Criminals and it was this film I don't really know what it was about I, I, I remember it being set in Canada and it was about this. It's 1995, according to Wikipedia. Um, and basically, it's about this kid who's like he's a little reprobate. Um, you know, he doesn't behave. He's he's like committing crimes. He's 11 years old. And basically, he's basically being warned by the police, saying, you know, as soon as you start, you know, as soon as you hit 12 years old, you're going to be taking criminal responsibility. When you can go to probably juvie or whatever. And it was great. It was just this little kid. It was cringy. It was really poorly done. But basically, he just he, like he, he just he just goes about quitting crimes and stuff. And you know, gradually gets more and more serious. And then his house is on fire. And he just lets himself die because of smoke um, smoke inhalation. Oh no, he sets his house on fire because he doesn't want to be arrested or put into foster care. Oh wow! Really thrilling and gripping stuff. But yeah, basically, he would crumble. Until... Is, is, it, is it meant? Is it meant to be a? Um... Um, like a cautionary tale for kids or something. Definitely. I genuinely think it's one of those ones that was like, you know, it was probably funded by like a school board kind of thing, you know. The... Is it, does this feature a conversation between two boys um, who are sort of trying to impress each other and they're talking about all the action films they've watched and one of them thinks that Steven Seagal's a soft as shite or something like that? I... Honestly, I'd have to watch it again because I cannot remember this one. I just distinctly remember this little rep. I, just, I mean, the storyline story you're describing... Seems familiar. I don't know why. Um, I don't think many people have seen this. To be honest, I think the only people to have seen this film are pupils that people. went to my school and were 
had Mr. Or Crow any other or any other school that he went to with his little box of DVDs. Yeah, genuinely. I don't think anyone has seen this film apart from people in S3 English in 2009. Um, but... Um, yeah, so that, that that was that was a good memory of school. It wasn't a great film. It wasn't anything special, but it was just it was just great bullying a teacher into letting us watch <laughs> into letting us watch this film. And then he had a, he had, another, he had another film which was kind of like this weird kind of. I think it was I think it was set in Brighton. It was set on some seaside town, and basically it was um, these young people, you know, wanting to go out and party and drink like that. But it was all done through like song and hip hop, and that was shit. And he also had that in his, his briefcase as well. But no, that that was good memories of school. Mr. Uh-huh. May he rest in peace. He was a good guy. Ah, uh, bless him. You want to take another one? Um, I think I'm I'm slowly running out of um films to watch. And I'm, well, I'm well like, shall I crack through a couple of categories I've got then? Yeah, because I've got my I've got the Mr. Smith ones, which I briefly told you about before, and they're good ones to end on. So, okay, all right, you 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 end on that. So, there's a couple of quick ones. I, I suppose like we talked about a couple of literary ones. I did a couple a couple of other literary ones, which are you know, different things. I think. Um, when we were at primary school, we did all the Roald Dahl books. Okay. And that, I mean, you know, sometimes you get given a, a something to watch at, at, uh, at school because it's an adaptation of what you're studying and you need to liven it up. You didn't need to do that for us with Roald Dahl because we thought they were great. I mean, they were written for people our age. They were really good because Roald Dahl's kids' books are really good. And I, I just went through them all. Danny, the champion of the world, uh, the twits and all of them really enjoyed it. And, for whatever reason, they thought, well, just in case the kids aren't enjoying this, okay, they let us watch Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Okay. Um, the original one, not the remake with Johnny Depp being kooky. Um, <laughs> obviously, that that wasn't out at the time, so we were spared that. Yeah. But, yeah, I, mean, I just remember thinking, I'm, I didn't need to watch this, but I'm glad we did, because Gene Wilder's great and everything. The other the other couple of literary ones we did um, at GCSE level, we were really... Um, we were really struggling with our Charles Dickens because back, back then you did a Charles Dickens for GCSE. Um, now, I know people who did uh, an Oliver Twist or David Copperfield or Taylor Two Cities at GCSE, and they like Dickens because those books are quite accessible. They've got good yeah. stories and everything. Well, not that this, the, the one I'm going to do isn't, but, but they were more appropriate for people that age to kind of, yeah. they're more, more likely to, to get into it, or get their heads around it, but we got great expectations. Yeah, which is it's one it's one of his later novels you know like writers sort of tend to kind of get a bit more ambitious or try and do something different or a bit deeper or darker with their later books and it was just maybe if i'd done this at a level or, or even later or read, read it now mind you but back then i just thought oh, this is so fucking going and the english teacher was quite boring i just couldn't stand it and yeah. so they decided to like liven up for us by showing us the david lean version of great expectations from 1946 okay and it's it was actually really good um, you know, because it's David Lean, and he was you know, one of the greatest directors of all time. And John Mills is playing the the main character as an adult. And there's lot, lots of other terrific actors in it. The problem is, it's two hours long, so you get a two hour respite from being bored to death, and then you go back to the book. But I do vaguely remember thinking, "Yeah, this is quite a good story." I don't know why we're hating it so much, but we are. I think that happens to most kids though these days. Yeah. Even even back then, but these days, where especially people would rather yeah. watch the film or you know. Yeah, and, and and another one we got at GCSE level, which again, we this is more like roll the roll down because we didn't need the film to enjoy the book because we were enjoying the book. We we were lucky. The best thing we did at GCSE English was uh, to kill a mockingbird. Yes, and and, and, and then to be that, honest, I watched that at school as well. Yeah, and and the, I remember the teacher giving us the book to read, and I think she kind of knew she didn't need to kind of you know how like this and I tell talk about the themes and illusions of this book. You know, you go, okay, well, that takes the fun out of it. I, I seem to remember they let us get on with reading this book and we all liked it. 
Yeah. It's like, this is actually really good. I mean, I don't think it was really intended to be re- read only by children, but it's a really good sort of that level book for like kids that age. And we all really liked it. And then, and then they let us watch the film, which is, fa- it's a, you know, it's a fantastic film. You know, you get, uh, um, Gregory Peck doing all the courtroom speeches, which is certainly better than, you know, the kid next to you in class reading it out. Um, and the scene where, scout the little girl faces off the adults in the lynch mob by talking to them by name and saying i go to school with your son and all kind of that sort of thing that was really powerful but again we didn't need to watch it because we were already enjoying the um the book but uh looking back at it now my little film anorak comes on and uh robert duval made his film debut playing boo radley so he did he i don't think he even has a single line of dialogue he just sort of pops up at the end you know don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it but boo radley finally 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 gets involved at the end yeah. And um, you only see him then. I don't even has a line of dialogue. But like, yeah, that was Robert Duvall. See, now that you're mentioning films that you've seen, I'm now remembering that I saw that film in school as well. I did. We did uh, To Kill a Mockingbird in I think fourth year or something like that. Um, great film. And we, we've already mm. we've already discussed it with Gregory Peck, um, Robin. Yeah, was it robbing Peter O'Toole? Apparently. Yeah, I mean, and Peter O'Toole did Lawrence of Arabia that year. And again, I mean, if 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 you know, if if you could nudge the film universe, you would just delay. Just delay um, of the release of uh, of Lawrence of Arabia by twelve months, and yeah. it would have cleaned up, you know. Um, yeah, and you mentioned um, Roald Dahl. I think I I've seen the James and the Giant Peach film. I can't remember when it was made, but the the sort of animated one, the sort of is it the stop animation one? Joanna Lumley, Miriam Margulies, Simon Callow, Richard Dreyfuss, and Susan Sarandon. It's weird watching films at school because you're excited to watch them because you're not having to do any writing, not having to do any paying attention mm-hmm. or any learning. But see, when I was watching films, like. You never got to fucking finish them because the class lessons were only like fifty-five minutes long. Yeah, I, for some reason uh, they 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 managed to finish off the. I mean, I think because we, we when we had a double lesson at school, and that was often long enough to watch a film. Although Bridge Too Far, they showed us over two two sittings. Well, yeah, we we had when we got older, we would have you know double French and double yep. you know, that, and obviously it was easier to do double PE because they could you know drive you to you know. A field uh, somewhere right yeah, proper, proper facilities or whatever. Um, but no, see, watching films it would be staggered, and it kind of ruined your experience of you know watching the film. It was yeah, you'd start. But do you, do you not do you not like have memories if you're going around someone else's house? This this used to happen a lot at, at, at my age because you know we didn't have streaming and it just kind of you know, watch what was on or watch what people had. But there were a lot of times you'd go around to see someone, you know, you'd see see friends or something, and they would have a film on on video. And it would be, oh, it's it's Top Gun. And you would watch the middle 30 minutes of Top Gun. And yes. then you go to someone else's house and watch the last 30 minutes. And then go to someone else's house and watch the first 40 minutes. And it was like it was like watching Top Gun remade as a, a like a French New Wave film because they just, you know, they were on narrative. Yeah, you're trying to piece it together like it's CSI or yeah, something. You're yeah. trying to figure out what the fuck, like Columbo, basically. You've already... Yeah. Um, I, I remember that with, we didn't say at school, but Lord of the Rings Two Towers, we went around to a friend's house. And yeah. they were in the middle of the scene just where the... The wards or the wards start attacking the, yeah, the the band of travellers. But yeah, I don't look back at films at school with much fondness, apart from Mr. Crow and Mr. Smith. Yeah. We'll get on in a bit, but I, it just seems like a waste of time. Maybe it's because I did I did history, and a lot of the stuff we were watching history was fucking boring. So I've I've got a couple more. There's a there's a couple of animated films that I was shown, and I think they were trying to educate us, and it didn't work out. They wanted how they wanted. Okay. Uh, 
I don't know if you've ever seen a, a Disney animation from about 1981 called The Fox and the Hound. That rings a bell. Is it the one? With it, the... Do, it doesn't get revived much because, frankly, it's shite. And it's from that <laughs> dark, it's from the dark ages of Disney animation because basically they did the Aristocats in 1970, and then until Little Mermaid came out in about 89, 90, all of their animated films were shit. I mean, some people like the Robin Hood film they did, but it, it's pants. And I don't know why, but they just suddenly the the quality of of Disney animation plummeted, and this was right in the middle of that worst era. And yeah. basically, it's their typical anthropomorphic stuff, but they picked a story. I don't understand how they thought this would appeal to kids. It's about a fox cub and a hunting dog puppy who, from a contrived dramatic situation, grow up together and are friends. Oh, fuck that. And then when they become adults, the fox sort of runs away and he joins the pack of hunting dogs and has to kind of hunt the uh, the fox. And then they realize that, they're, oh, it's his old friend and he's got like a moral uh, quandary about that. And I, Honestly, I think they were trying to teach us something about, you know, being friends with people, even though they come from different backgrounds. And even if it was a good, even if they'd done it well, it's still like a a very kind of weak basis to tell that story. Because normally if you're friends with someone from different backgrounds, it's because, I don't know, they're ethnically Chinese and you're Jewish. And there's actually no difference. (laughs) You know, you come from different species of animal that normally try to kill each other. So I don't know why they thought that would actually help us with our little like learning and growing that they were trying to do. Um, yeah, they're so soft over there in America as well. Like, that's a nice story about two things that should be enemies, you know, becoming friends. Whereas over here in Britain, they made us watch Watership Down. That's the next thing on my list. And that actually? Was, yeah, that's the next thing I was going to talk to. Oh, and that sorry. is like, my God, why did you make me watch Watership Down? <laughs> did they make you watch? Did they make you watch Watership Down and then make you watch? Fox and the Hound, like the day after, just to kind of boost your mood. No, I know that I, I put them together because they were like two different cat- two sort of similar categories. But no, they. I think that what my memories, my memories fading with age, Mister Randon. But the um, <laughs> uh, I put them together. I think they were watching completely different times. But they they thought it would be educational for us to watch Watch It Down because apparently it's an allegory about you know human existence and stuff. And that's it's horrific. I mean, it's, it's too, haunting. It's, it's a fucking PG. Yeah, I don't know. Well, the thing is, they had a real problem with the film, like, classification back then, because you were either a PG or a 15, and it meant a lot of things were a 15 that you, you wonder why you wonder now why they gave it such a high rating. And there were other things that stayed as a PG, which really should have been a higher rated film. And Warship Down is, I think because it's animated and it's about rabbits, I think a lot of parents and, and sort of teachers would thought it would be okay for kids to watch it, but it's really not. I mean, the, the animated rabbits, there's one scene with other rabbits, like, it's face is covered in blood because it's just bitten mm-hmm. someone it's like the killer rabbit out in monty python the holy grail <laughs> um and you know there's realistic depictions of the rabbits being attacked by dogs humans and hawks and yeah. other rabbits it's that awful and, and then in the middle of it they have a the song bright eyes by art garfunkel <laughs> it's like what what tone are you trying to set for this film because you are all over the place it's a real acid trip of a film like oh yeah because yeah because some of the rabbits are psychic aren't they Oh man! <laughs> Can you imagine trying to pitch that film now? Yeah, that, that would be going on Disney Plus, would it? Like, oh, hell! <laughs> oh, incredible! That's yeah. uh, such a it's such a weird film, and the, you do have this thing that is like, on the one hand, it was a bit of a nanny state back then. That's loads of films got banned from being on DVD because they thought people would like become serial killers if they watched I Spit on Your Grave. And on the other hand, they let kids watch Jaws and walk shit down. Yeah. When they were far too young to to, uh, to watch them, and they were hugely uh, on on. I tell you what, on um, Amazon Prime Video, Watership Down is rated as U. Fuck off! On no, Video. No, it's grim. Someone gets shot. One of the rabbits gets shot. And yeah, it's 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 rated U. You can buy the Blu-ray, and it is rated U, suitable for all. And then one of the rabbits. I'm reading it now. Right, 
ends with Hazel getting shot. Fiverr follows a vision, a vision of the mythical black rabbit to his injured brother. Kehar returns and while pecking out buck pecking out buckshot from Hazel's leg with his beak, reports with the many does the large Ephraphwa. He gets shot and someone starts eating the buckshot out of his leg. And it's for you. Oh, the 70s. Honestly, honestly, man. Like my generation, right? Everybody watched Jaws when they were kids and were traumatised. And we all watched Watership Down and were traumatised. Oh, man, that, that's wild. So you got to, you got any more you want to throw out there? Uh, the la- well, I've, there's other films that I've, I've probably seen. I think I watched like Matilda at school and stuff like that, which is a good film. But the last distinct memory I think I have of films at school is Mr. Smith. Now, Mr. Smith was one of three members of the religious and model education department with the surname Smith. We had Mr. Smith, Dr. Smith, and Mrs. Smith, no relation to each other. But basically, uh, we, got, we got to that point in Army where, not that we'd stop giving a shit about religion, but you drop it, you, you take it in fifth year, and you drop it in sixth year, so you, you, you wouldn't take it for your final year of sixth form down in England, basically, if that was the... That was the case, but in like first year they do like we had we had Doctor Smith who who had like a great amount of knowledge about religion. I never had Mrs. Smith as a teacher, um, apart from when she covered a French class once. But Doctor Smith was he like he'd been to like Jerusalem, he'd been to like the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, so he like knew his stuff, and he would teach us great stuff. And you know we learned a lot in his lessons about different religions and different you know theologies around the world. Whereas Mr. Smith, I only ever had Mr. Smith for when we went on holiday to Holland. In second year, fuck knows why they let him organise a holiday to Holland because that's another story in itself. <laughs> and I only ever had him in fourth and fifth year. And by that point, they'd kind of stopped teaching you about you know Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, and stuff like that. They stopped. They'd stopped doing that. It was just kind of like it was more about the moral education. They just kind of yeah, ethical lessons for life and stuff. But he, we watched films on the because we, when we went to Holland, they drove, they they drove there from from Aberdeen in Scotland. They drove fourteen hours from the school grounds. All the way down to it was uh, Valkenburg. Um, it's in Maastricht. It's in that yeah. little bit in the bottom of Holland that's like surrounded by France, Belgium, and Germany. So it was good. So we got to go to like loads of But we watched films on that, and we watched the uh, Robin Hood Prince and Tights. Is that Robin Hood Men's and Men and Tights? Sorry. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it was the the title was a parody of Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. Yeah, Prince of Thieves. That's yeah. So it was a. Uh, I really enjoyed that. It wasn't really a thought provoking film, I and mean, it wasn't meant to be a thought provoking film from the lesson, but. I just enjoyed Mr. Smith's uh, film selection. That was one of the. Yeah, films. it wasn't. Ba- it wasn't bad, was it? For late era Mel Brooks, it was. It had some. It had some yeah. of his his touches in it, didn't it? Not Which quite his classic yeah. era, but. Mr. Smith was a fucking legend. Right, he's from Bristol, so he basically he'd come in and we'd, we'd sit down. And be, I think it was like first thing on a Monday morning, and we'd sit there and he'd just be moaning about Bristol Rovers losing at the weekend. He'd be like Bristol Rovers <laughs> have lost at the weekend. <laughs> so. He was like, what film are we watching this week, Mr. Smith? He's like, we're not watching a film this week. He's like, we're watching a film this week, Mr. Smith. What are we watching? So we watched, we watched what we called The the Man Who Sued God. Isn't that a Billy Connolly it film? It is. It's a Billy Connolly film. It's not very well heard of. But basically, he's a... Isn't it based on a true story? M- or inspired by an yeah. actual case or something, and then they went and... Um, I'll, I'll draw it up now. The Man Who Sued God. But basically, it's a guy who I think is like a fisherman. Yeah, it's an Australian comedy um, starring Billy Connolly and Judy Davis. Mm-hmm. And it was a it was a success in Australia. It like debuted at you know number one, but he's 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 a, he's a delusioned lawyer. Um, but he basically he's the disillusioned lawyer. Sorry, and his fishing boat struck by lightning and it's frozen to pieces. And he goes to insurance company and says, "Look, my boat's been destroyed." And he doesn't get any money because it's an act. Because it's of God. an act of God. Yeah. 
and basically Billy Connolly, you know, it's it's a really good, a really enjoyable film, but it's um, you know, I think it ends with you know, I can't, I can't actually remember. It's it's a moral victory kind of film. I don't think he gets. I can't rightly remember, but the best bit about it was Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith stole the show with this, so it, obviously it's a Billy Connolly film. So there's swearing and stuff like that in it, and Mr. Smith forgetting that we're all like 16 and 17 and probably used worse language than what was being you know said in the film every time there was a swear word you try and cough over it <laughs> so billy Connolly's like his boat's just blow- been blown up and he's going oh for fuck's sake but mr smith would try and cover up and he's like oh for fuck <coughs> sake and you're like what are you, what are you doing mr smith and then we so had, um, in Paradiso where they're trying to cut out all the naughty bits from the films they're watching yeah then we also saw um shawshank redemption which is a great film, um, but I think that, with the man who sued God, I think it was kind of trying to be. I don't actually know. I don't even know that. Like, to be honest with Mr. Smith, you don't even know the lesson he was trying to teach you with it. <laughs> but yeah. it was, it was kind of like I think maybe drawing something into like you know what happens if um, your boat's destroyed like that and you can't you can't actually claim any compensation yeah. for it and stuff like that. So it was an interesting yeah. kind of thought thought provoking topic. But Shawshank was yeah. more about you know the legal system and like being tried and you know convicted of a crime that you didn't commit and things like that yeah but i think i can't remember if this is the film you saw in in shawshank redemption is there a sex scene where he catches his wife with the guy is it is it through a window or they're in a car or something early on in the film yeah something like that because it's definitely yeah. not the man who sued god that the yeah, yeah. Number. basically there's a sex scene we were watching a film with in mr smith's class and there was a sex scene in it and <laughs> he was trying to like he didn't want us seeing this, you know, th- this naked body. So it's on one of those big projector screens. Yes. Big, they, I don't know if they had them in Europe at school, but they basically yeah, yeah, the they big yeah. screens. Um, they're all interactive whiteboards now. And yeah. there's a big, there's like this sex scene happening. He's like, oh, no, no, I can't let them all see this. So what he does is he goes, he goes to like just under his desk and he's got the pin bags and he goes to grab the bin bags and cover the screen. And cover the screen from the sex scene, but it doesn't work because it's a projector. It's not been. It's just projecting someone as pair of tits onto a bit. Projecting a pair of tits onto Mister Smith's back. We're dying of laughter trying to (laughs) trying to to watch Shawshank Redemption with Mister Smith in the way with a big pair of tits on his shoulder blades. Oh, very man. good. Oh, very good. He's, he was a legend. When he retired, <laughs> they filmed like a goodbye video. And he, he just walks past the school, and as he's leaving, he gives two fingers up to it, and then walks away. Yeah. So I've only, I've only got two more categories. I don't know how many more films you've got. That's my. That was my last one. So I've got two more categories, and the, the last one's kind of a bit of a special mention. So probably my favourite experiences watching films at school was for A level. Our French teacher, he was a really, really cool guy. I mean, to look at him, he wasn't cool because he had this massive head. But um, he was he was really good. And like from day one in French A-level lessons, he only spoke French. And he'd only respond to you if you spoke French to him. So you just okay. had to keep up and try and find a way to put what you were trying to say into words. Which meant I learned to speak quite good French because of that. He was really committed to it. But he was also really good for showing us French films. Um, and I assume the idea was... I think he probably enjoyed French films and just wanted to show them. But the idea was that if you hear French spoken by French people, you'll, you'll get into it more. Although, yeah. you know, it's no one was asking où est la bibliothèque in the middle of these films, so it didn't really help us. <laughs> but we saw we saw Subway, which is one of Luc Besson's earliest films. Okay. Got Christopher Lambert in it, and he's got his hair done like Luc Besson. You know, Luc Besson's got this big, less so now because he's older, big, shocking mess of blonde hair, bleach blonde hair. 
Okay. So the main character is basically Luc Besson. He's, he's portraying, you know, he's, he's got an actor portraying him on screen, sort of. And it's about a guy who he commits a crime, or he's, he's, at, he's in hiding, and there's a load of underground subcultures who live underground behind the Paris Metro. Right. Uh, it, it, look, the whole thing's paper thin. It doesn't stand up for about five seconds in terms of a, a, a realistic plot, but it was quite fun watching all these different subcultures living underground, and there's a great chase scene between the transport police and a pickpocket on roller skates, because it's 1984, <laughs> obviously, there was a pickpocket on roller skates. Um, he also showed us a film called Diva. This was like a real kind of stylized director called Jean-Jacques Benet. It's him and Luc Besson were known as Cinema du Luc, and they were re- a lot of people pissed off about it at the time, because it was all about, they thought it was all style over substance, because all that sort of looked really good, but it's about a guy who's a fan of opera, young guy's obsessed with this opera singer and he, he records an illegal bootleg of her singing because she won't release any recordings and yeah. at the same time a witness to like a criminal conspiracy by the police drops a tape into his bag to try and get the evidence out before she's killed so he's got two tapes in his bag he doesn't always got two tapes and one is the uh, highly sought after bootleg of an opera singer and the other one's like evidence of the police a police senior police officer running a criminal sort of um gang Right. And he's two loads of people chasing him and he doesn't know why. And one of them's a bunch of people who want to steal the recording off him and the other one's a police who want to like kill him and, and destroy all the evidence. And again, it doesn't make any sense. It looks awesome. It's a really kind of stylish film to watch. The other one is a film called, this has got a few different names because the, the original didn't really, um, the original French title doesn't really translate very well to English. It's known as Le Flic or Le Cop over here, but it was called Le, Le Flicou and it's about corrupt police and it's a comedy. And essentially, the the the, the, the lead, lead character is Philip Noir out of Cinema Paradiso. Right, it's a corrupt cop, not quite low level corrupt. He just takes bribes from low level criminals at, in in return for looking the other way. And his his partner is also corrupt, but gets caught and, and and locked up. So he gets a new partner who's young and idealistic, straight out of the academy, and believes in doing the right thing. So his he thinks it's his job to corrupt him, so he gets an easy life again. And because this is a French film, of course, he easily corrupts him and. <laughs> It, 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 it's the most French kind of cop story you can imagine because everybody's corrupt, but it's all a bit of a laugh. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's, it's a bit of harmless fun that they're all taking bribes on the side. And it's, it's fun, but, you know, again, I think they sh- they figured it would be an easy easy story to follow and we'd, we'd like to follow the language. And um, the last one, it was like his, his, his end of course treat for us was uh, Betty Blue. I don't know if you've ever heard of Betty Blue. No, I haven't. So, Baby Blue was a really famous film in the 80s. It had a really iconic poster of the, the lead actress in it. And, you know, lots of students would have that on their wall if they tried to show that they were really fashionable and sophisticated. They'd have Baby Blue on the wall. Um, and it's another, it's by the guy who did Diva. And it's uh, it's actually a bit, although it's like obsessed with like everything looking brilliant, it's a bit of a dark storyline because the woman essentially is suffering, struggling with severe mental illness and ends up having to be committed. But because the director is focused on like showing it all really stylishly, you, you kind of, it's not really clear what point he's trying to make. Um, but the, the main reason I remember it is because, you know, we're sitting there in an A level and it's all a lot of nervous teenagers, boys and girls sitting together in class. And the, the opening scene is one of the most explicit sex scenes I've ever seen on film. And everyone's kind of like cringing and trying not to respond to it and just going, Oh my God, why are we watching this? Why am I well, sitting like next to Proper like graphic stuff. Yeah. I mean, not, you know, not pornographic graphic, but 18 rated explicit for a French film which is pretty explicit. Um, yeah. And it's like, oh my God. But I do have fond memories of having a teacher that was prepared to essentially show us some really cool French art house films. Well, to be fair, actually, now that you said it, I thought I had none left, but we saw a couple of films in French, um, which were quite good. We saw, um, it's called Une Longue Dimanche, Dimanche de Fiancailles, which means the very long engagement. And it's set, it's, um, what's her name? Audrey Tattoo, you know, from Amelie. Yeah. You know Audrey Tattoo? Yes, yeah. So she's in it, and it's um, 
it's set in World War One, and her husband goes on, goes, gets like conscripted and fights in France, and um, it was, it's an all right story, but it was good, to, it was good to hear French. The best film, I think this actually might be the best film I saw at school, and it was a French film, was Into Chable. I forgot I saw that. Oh, one. brilliant. Brilliant, yeah. that's a good film. That's an excellent school. film. And they, they did a terrible remake with Brian Cranston and Kevin Hart. Oh. Yeah, Interchable is possibly, yeah, it was one of my favourite, favourite, favourite. Yeah, that's films. a terrific film. Um, I remember getting to seeing this at school and the guy I would sit next to in French, his name was, uh, it was also James, but he'd grown up in, um, he'd grown up in like France from like the age of, to the age of about 10 or 12. So he spoke fluent French. So he was pissing himself throughout the entire film. He couldn't be... He's getting all the jokes, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we had the subtitles and there were some some stuff that we were like trying to pick up on, but he, sure. he was absolutely... He was like... Sure. Absolutely, like, he was dying like how good this film was. That's and I would brilliant. recommend anyone who's not seen it to not watch the shitty Brian Cranston remake, but watch the original French one. Yeah, because that's... That could very easily have been like a painfully sentimental story but they got it just so spot on right didn't they with the, the way that they um the way they kind of made it it's terrific the two main actors are amazing together no they they bounce off each other so well it was i think it was the most successful french film until lucy came out yeah which it's, isn't really a french film is it french because it stars um scarlett johansson it's just because it's, it's, french, it's a french production most likely probably yeah. the, 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 luke Besson probably got his funding from france mm-hmm. but yeah it's a, bit, it's a bit borderline calling that a french film when it's all in english with Lucy, with um uh scarlett johansson in the main role but yeah well, so well, what, what do you make of films at school like i we've we've spoke about the films at school but what do you think would be like the interesting bit to discuss um I think it certainly helps you when you're doing it, showing it like a play, because it's better. It's especially like Shakespeare and stuff, because it's 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 actually really good to see proper actors doing the doing the words. Um, and I mean, I guess it was good to. I suppose when you see the war films, you do actually get to see a bit more of what it was actually like, and rather than just you know a dry. But I mean, you don't. A lot of it doesn't. I think a lot of it doesn't teach you what you know, they think it's going to teach you. I think French, the French films are good because, again, hearing French spoken by natives does help you, you know, speak it. It helps you when you're saying a sentence. It helps you kind of have heard, like, native French people, you know, speak in dialogue to each other. A lot of the time, I don't think it does the job the teachers are, are trying to um, trying to achieve. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's one of those... Th- I think it's a, it's, a re- it's a bad environment to show people a, a film. Um, yeah. Whether it's... Because... Yeah, you're, you're sitting on a, like an awkward wooden chair, and if you know, yeah, if you're, you're plastic, like 15, 15 or sixteen, and you're sitting next to someone of the opposite sex or the same sex, if you're attracted to them, and and then there's a lot of sex on the screen. You're obviously it's a hugely self-conscious age to be sat in a classroom watching stuff. Yeah, yeah it would just be really hard to people draw to people's attention span. They they turn the lights off in the classroom, so most people would just go on their phones or you know just mm-hmm. chat and stuff like that but it wasn't it wasn't the best way to watch films you still got like a couple of gems here and there with you know yeah jaws and into Shablo and shawshank but it was um yeah well, if you could get into watch a good film it's always fun right this sounds really this sounds really boring and old of me but I, looking back on them i don't think i don't think i learned a lot from them. like the great gatsby version that um the robert redford version that was shit i didn't like yeah, robert redford has disowned it as well he actually didn't what he you know he was hoping to do something considerably better than that but in the end he said they almost treated the source material like um holy scripture and they basically stood there and read the dialogue out to each other um instead like, of trying to make the film come alive i didn't even like the book of great Gatsby. i, the, I like the, the whole idea of the story of the guy becoming new money but i thought it was a bit of a lame like for the hype it gets it get it gets you know, I, I think f scott fitzgerald is a bit of an acquired taste if i'm honest 
I didn't even think that the actual writing of the story was acquired, and I didn't think it was like hard. I found it accessible to read, but I just didn't. It's not like Shakespeare, where you know you're being thrown in, you know, into another period. I just, I just didn't. I didn't get it. It's like it's it's worshipped by yeah, yeah, yeah. There are writers like that. I mean, the English equivalent I say would be someone like E. M. Forster. Okay, because from a similar era, like the writing in the twenties and thirties, and English teachers love it, and I, I don't get on with it and I think F. Scott Fitzgerald is similar there are people who absolutely love it but I, I just don't get on with it I don't, I don't find it particularly lively you know lively writing out of the two Gats have you seen the other Gatsby film with the- no I haven't I, I mean I, I've I'm, I've got such an aversion to like Baz Luhrmann films now and I know I should probably watch because it's probably good Gatsby's a decent story and Leo, Leo's a really good actor it's actually um, not, it's, it's not even that version. It's not even that good, to be honest with you. It's one of those, Baz Luhrmann seems to do these things where he just takes a period in history and then tries to, he'll win the Oscar for set design. Well, he won't win it, but he'll recruit the people who will win it. Um, but you're not missing out. It's, it's, it's just the great Gatsby. It's one yep. of the things that everyone has been done to death. Um, yeah. yeah, I think I, I, I agree with your mantra of avoiding Baz Luhrmann. After just, I've not even seen Moulin Rouge, you've told me it's shit, but I have watched Australia. Have yeah. you seen Australia? No, Jesus fuck! By the way, it's it feels like it's about seven. It feels like the voyage to Australia that all the, all the criminals took. And Nothing that long. Me. I, you know it what? It's so long. A bit bigoted of me, but when I saw that it was directed by Baz Luhrmann and read the summary of what the film's about, I kind of assumed that it would be exactly what you're describing and just steered well clear. But it's just it feels really self indulgent. Like it's you know, it's trying to tie into the whole you know Aboriginal roots. I mean, obviously. Australian and the lead actors are Australian and to make a film called Australia about you know something that's big and important about the history of Australia it, I think it's very difficult for any of those, those people to have um, the kind of discipline and you know creative kind of uh, you know like uh, ability to work to decide what's working and what isn't it's probably a labor of love for everyone and they think everything they're doing is amazing because they love the story there's so many films like that where people do I've been trying to do this story for 20 years this means a lot to me and Everyone else is going to be bored by it. Okay, so I, I said the worst films that I saw at school were High School Musical, and it's a bit hard to put War Horse in there, but I'll, I'll put High School Musical because that's the, the, some of the worst films. What are the worst films that you saw at school? Fox and the Hound. Really? Yeah, it's absolute rubbish. <laughs> Fair enough. I did, I did want to give one special mention to a, a film I was shown in. It wasn't at school, but it was, it was shown in a very similar context. It was in like a, a classroom context because... One place that I worked, um, the background to this is, I mean, I, I was still relatively young, uh, you know, uh, at work and still, you know, trying to get training courses and stuff to help me develop, you know, the skills for the job that I was doing. I could get longer in the tooth now and I don't do that. But back then I was trying to get training and they had no training budget at this place I was working because um, the one of the senior people in the department uh, uh was on a business trip and upgraded everybody to first class that so she could get more points on a credit card. Nice. And that, that wiped out the budget, the training budget for our department for that year. So instead bitch. of <laughs> so instead of a training course, we sat down in a, in a classroom sort of format and watched Apollo 13. What job were you applying for? Well, this is the thing, right? I was just working an office job, not to go into the details. It's an office job where you do kind of office-type tasks. None of us are in space. None of us are working with people that are in space. None of us are researching or building things to do with space travel. And I think maybe they thought that because Apollo 13 is about, like, very um, (laughs) professional people coping well under pressure, that it would be like a good kind of skills course. So what you had was you had some bullshitter 
um, standing there who'd completely let her second in command get away with pissing our training budget up the wall, pausing the video midway through and going, that was a really good example of, of how people kind of deal with problems <laughs> under a lot of pressure and going, yeah, if we ever go to space, that will come in fucking handy. Yeah, I'm not going to tell people what you do or where you work, but you've, you've never expressed an interest in me in going to space. No, and nothing, nothing, I, nothing I do or, or negotiate or, or organize at work it goes into space. Amazing. <laughs> and I, I just remember, why the fuck are we doing this? Oh, so they've made, they've tried to make a really tenuous link between, <laughs> this, is, this sounds surreal. Honestly, honestly, we were looking at each other. The thing is, because you're, you're you know, the, you don't want to get in, in trouble with the boss because, you know, you, then at the end of your appraisal, she'll probably remember that you took the piss out of what she was doing. But you just think, sort of stealing little glances at each other going, I can't believe they're making us do this. And they did it to us. I cannot, honestly, that was all the training I received in a 12 month period at that place. <laughs> was watching Apollo 13 and saying, in your job, be like that. Could you imagine? Could you imagine, like, you know, being there, you wanted to train as a personal trainer, they just start showing you, like, Halloween, and it's like, oh, well, okay, yeah, he's a serial killer, but look how persistent Michael Myers is, and, you know, how motivated well, that's right. he is. That's oh, like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's running around attacking people all night. Those fitness levels, I tell you what. Well, you want to be good at running? Well, here, here we have Forrest Gump. Look how good he is at running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's incredible. That's just the maddest thing. And oh, Apollo 13 is a good, a good film and everything, but my, my preferred format... Knowing, knowing what my you preferred do format, it's got fuck all to do with what you do. Also, my preferred format for watching Apollo 13 does not involve some dickhead um, <laughs> pausing it midway through and, and commenting on uh, what we just learned in the previous scene. Uh, it sounds a lot like The Office. That's all for this month's special edition of Double Reel. Thanks to all you dedicated completists who tuned in, and thanks to James Adamson for his contributions to the chat. The next regular episode will be released on September the 18th, that's episode 5, with all your favourite nerdy film content. There will be another special guest conversation among the features. This time the Adamsons have another mammoth chat for you about a huge topic. We will be discussing the controversies between Spike Lee and Quentin Tarantino, which turned into a conversation about diversity and race in the film industry and then in the wider world. This won't fit into the main episode of that extensive cut, so the next bonus episode will give you a lot more to listen to. This episode of the podcast was recorded on Anchor FM and edited and mixed in Audacity. Anything that sounded good was down to them, and anything that sounded crap was down to me. The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod, which is a cracking bit of music, so I'll stop talking and let you listen to the rest of it. See you next time.